Heroic rescue in Gastown. A big black gust of smoke came up in my face and I just yelled fire. Survivors escape a fast-moving fire with some residents still missing. A big shift in city politics. ABC reflects our values uh, and with Ken Sim as the mayoral candidate, we think it's the right uh, fit for us to be. Why the switch to a whole new party is as easy as ABC to these well-known councillors. And the battle for the housing vote. Feast your eyes on the home of your dreams. Here it is, $4.8 million is the listing price for this baby. The federal conservative politician betting his policy is the key to power. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. You are looking at a live shot now from Gastown, where a building that housed some of Vancouver's most vulnerable has burned. Earlier today, flames were shooting through the roof and out the windows of this structure on Abbott Street. More than 50 firefighters worked to contain it at one point as the fire sent toxic smoke drifting over the downtown core. Good evening and thanks for joining us. That fire causing a frightening scene late this morning with people doing whatever they could to get to safety. So far, we know five people are hurt and officials are working to determine how many people are actually still unaccounted for. Grace Key is live at the scene with the latest. Grace, what have you learned? Well, about an hour ago, the flames did flare up again, though it looks like uh, they did get them out now. Firefighters are still here on the scene, just keeping an eye on those hot spots. And we did see fire investigators arrive here at the scene as they try and figure out the next step and how this fire started. It was an aggressive fire with flames shooting through the roof of this historic Gastown building. In the upper floors, a single-room occupancy hotel that houses some of Vancouver's most vulnerable population. As soon as I opened my door, a big black gust of smoke came up in my face and I just yelled fire and I made sure everybody could hear me. After that, I quickly grabbed my animals and got out. Like, I, I don't even have a jacket. My partner doesn't even have shoes on his feet. We just had to get out, right? Oh, the fire broke out at about 11 in the morning at the corner of Abbott and Water Streets. It's unclear right now what started the blaze. Five people were taken to hospital, two in serious condition. Firefighters rescued several people with aerial ladders trapped on the upper floors. Reports also that we had someone early into the fire that maybe, uh, as our firefighters arriving on scene, jumped from one of the top floors, uh, injured, uh, but was uh, viable and uh, transported to hospital. The building is privately owned and provincially funded. Atira Property Management operates the 89-room SRO. Oh my God. Throughout the day, it's been a challenge locating all the residents, as some had remained unaccounted for. We have been finding people through the course of the day because it's, because it's an SRO. People come and go a lot and they stay with friends and they don't come home at night. So, um, so last count, I mean, we've located uh, about four people in the last hour and we, we hope, expect to continue to locate more. Tenants are being housed in two shelters until permanent housing can be found. But the loss of 89 rooms in an area already short on housing is a devastating hit. It's uh, been the longest that I've had stable housing and, and uh, I've been out of jail for a long time and like, it's been wonderful living down here. I, it sucks that uh, this is the end of uh, living down here. 
So there were 71 residents here at the SRO, and they're going to be doing a head count just to make sure they get a number on everyone who did make it out. So we should be getting an update uh, later on today. There's also a number that relatives, and they want to emphasize that they're asking for relatives only to be calling if they're looking for a loved one. You can call 604-229-8415 if you're trying to track someone down. All right, uh, Grace Key reporting live. Let's hope it's nothing but good news from the head count. Thanks, Grace. Now to some breaking news in Vancouver politics. Several independent city councillors are now joining a new alliance, promising what they call a better city. Let's bring in Jordan Armstrong to explain. Jordan. Sophie, a better city also known as ABC has picked up one, two, three new candidates and all are familiar faces. Rebecca Bly, Lisa Dominato and Sarah Kirby Young were elected under the NPA banner back in 2018. Bly quit the party the following year to sit as an independent. Dominato and Kirby Young became independents last year amid internal upset over the NPA's decision to appoint John Cooper as candidate for mayor. It is a reunion of sorts. Sim was the NPA's candidate last time around. Now he's leading ABC. Adding three incumbents is an obvious boost to Sim's brand, but at this point, he faces a very crowded field of center-right mayoral challengers who could threaten to split the vote. Four candidates in total on the center-right versus Kennedy Stewart on the center-left. We asked him about that, but first here's Sarah Kirby Young on what she sees as the major issues heading towards Election Day on October 15th. I think what we hear about all the time from residents and uh, we talk about a lot um, as councillors is housing and availability of housing, overall affordability and public safety. These are really top of mind for almost every resident that we speak with. I've had conversations with people across the city and they know where we are and if they want to join the movement to make a difference in our city, they can join us. Um, you know, my door is very wide open and people know how to get a, a hold of me. The four made their announcement late this afternoon on the Jazz Joe Hall program on CKNW. We are now chasing reaction from the other parties, and we'll have that tonight on Global News at 11. Sophie? All right. Thanks for that, Jordan. A very brief pre-trial hearing was held in a Prince George courtroom today for Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum on his public mischief charge. A group of protesters gathered outside Surrey City Hall at about the same time, urging the mayor to step down while the case is being heard and to pay his own legal bills. The group has been battling the mayor for months now over his move to have the RCMP replaced with a new civic police force. The mischief charge stems from a confrontation with protesters outside a Surrey supermarket back in September. And there's been these delay after delay after delay with a very expensive Vancouver lawyer covering it and being paid for by the citizens of Surrey through their taxes, which is absolutely wrong. The matter has been put over to Thursday to fix a date for trial. Today's virtual hearing was held in Prince George because that's where the presiding judge is. The mayor has so far not entered a plea. Meantime, Surrey City Council will vote tonight on whether to freeze new ethics complaints until after the civic election in the fall. For more details on the controversial bylaw amendment, let's bring in our Krista Dow. Krista? 
Uh, Sophie expects some lively and colorful debate regarding that controversial bylaw amendment. Uh, council is going to get underway in just about an hour. But some city uh, councillors we spoke to say that the change is uh, uh, a real risk to public uh, trust and they are going to be voting against it, some of them. Um, and what they are going to be debating about this tonight is whether for the next six months is whether to approve a motion by the for the public commissioner, sorry, at the commissioner, uh, to approve whether for the next six months up until after the municipal election, if they would be able to hear any new complaints. Now, we have been down this road before. The bylaw was up for a vote back in January, but just hours before, uh, in a surprise move, Mayor Doug McCallum moved to cancel that vote. Now, councillors against the bylaw say it compromises the integrity of the office and say the standard, though, when it comes to freezing complaints before an election is three months and not six. Bringing this back and stopping it as of virtually tomorrow, um, all complaints, is, is outrageous. And it's a, it's a real affront. It's a real affront to the public trust. Normally in other communities uh, where they have similar type of processes set up, there is a sort of a moratorium period prior to an election, which is normally about 90 days or, or around there. Uh, but in this case, uh, you know, they're proposing perhaps uh, limiting it uh, six months out from an election. And yet we have a mayor who's criminally charged before the courts right now. And Doug, May, uh, Doug McCallum himself uh, is facing an ethics complaint for staying on as Surrey Police Service uh, Board Chair. Um, that investigation will continue regardless of what happens here tonight. Again, that meeting goes at 7 o'clock. Sophie. All right, we'll look for more tonight on Global News at 11. Krista Dow in Surrey. Krista, thank you. Abbotsford police are asking for witnesses or anyone with dash cam video to come forward after a woman was badly hurt after being thrown from a truck. It happened at 10.47 Sunday morning in the 1700 block of Clearbrook Road. Police say the 50-year-old woman exited this 2017 gray Dodge pickup while it was moving. She was rushed to hospital by air ambulance in critical condition. The 39-year-old driver remained at the scene and the truck has been seized. An emotional sentencing hearing today in Port Coquitlam for the man charged in a deadly truck rampage that claimed the life of a Maple Ridge mother of four in 2018. Romina Dea has more on the driver's plea and the heart-wrenching testimony from the victim's family. The Sandoval family's happiness obliterated the day Kelly died. The victim's four sons and husband, Eduardo, crippled by grief. Powerful victim impact statements presented to the court four years later, including a song 14-year-old Dante wrote for his mom. I miss you, mom. I miss you so much. I wish you could come back. A path of destruction captured on camera February 1st, 2018. The pickup truck backs into two parked cars. Moments later, Kelly pushes her five-year-old son Emmett out of the way, but both are hit. The driver takes off, crashing into a McDonald's drive-through before smashing into a bus shelter. Just brought it all back again. All fresh memories that she really is gone. She won't be back. And I just look at her sons and it's just so wrong. 
Kelly dies six weeks later after suffering a heart attack caused by blunt force trauma from being hit by the truck. The little boy survives. 38-year-old Travis Perry, initially charged with criminal negligence causing death, impaired driving causing death, and two counts of failing to stop at an accident. On Monday, he pleaded guilty to the lesser charge of dangerous driving causing death. I was really disappointed that it only dropped down to one charge after there being four, and it's a much lesser charge than what the original ones were. Perry, who has no criminal record but an extensive driving history, is in treatment for drug addiction. He told the Sandoval family he is truly sorry. Crown is seeking an 18 to 24-month jail sentence with a five-year driving prohibition. Defense's position, a conditional sentence, two years less a day to be served in the community. I would like to see some jail time because I, I think he has to pay somehow. He has to realize what he's done. The case adjourned until April 20th. The victim's mother, Jennifer Taze, doing her best to hold the family together as they wait for the sentence. Romina Dea, Global News. Turning now to the COVID-19 pandemic, there are more indications BC is at the beginning of a sixth wave. And for more, let's bring in our Keith Baldry from Victoria. Keith, what do you see in the numbers? Yeah, so we're not getting the daily numbers anymore. And they're all now going to be released every Thursday instead of every day. So we don't have daily case numbers or hospitalizations. But we did get an update last week uh, on what's going on in B.C. And also COVID-19 continues to travel around the world to various degrees. We're still in this, folks. We're still in a pandemic. Here's some indicators just picked up over the last 24 hours. A reminder again, last week, B.C. showed an increase of 9% in infections over a two-week period. But hospital admissions are down 12%. Ontario's positive rate right now is almost 18%. That is concerning. Uh, Dr. Fauci is expressing concern about the U.S. average of 31,000 cases a day, a 3% jump in two weeks. And Philadelphia, this is interesting, I thought today, Philadelphia and five major U.S. universities are reimposing the indoor mask mandates. So mask mandates are coming back in some jurisdictions. The Ontario opposition parties are favoring a return to uh, mask mandates there as wastewater infections surge in Ontario. So again, we're not getting the daily numbers. I'm going to try to come up with some data every day to show exactly how it's tracking in BC and elsewhere in the world. Because as I say, we're not out of the pandemic. We're not finished with COVID and COVID isn't finished with us. Definitely something we've got to keep an eye on. Thanks very much, Keith. Well, it may have felt like spring today, but the winter weather isn't quite behind us yet. And there is the possibility of snow on the south coast tomorrow. For more details, let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon. What can we expect, Christy? Well, Sophie, uh, snow is really rare in the month of April uh, for across the south coast. At YVR, the last time we reported measurable snowfall was back in 2008. But uh, what we've had over the last little while is these pockets, intense pockets of precipitation for the last four days, bringing down pours of rain and hail. And on Sunday, we even saw snow. Well, tomorrow, we have an even better chance of seeing snow. Here are the areas we're concerned about particularly Vancouver Island, away from the water, higher elevations and along the east coast from Comox up towards Campbell River. Now, for the lower mainland, it will be variable. We're talking about zero to five centimeters. But as I mentioned, these pockets are going to be isolated and very intense. So rapidly accumulating snow if we do see that. When I come back, we'll talk about which parts of the lower mainland I have that have the best chance of seeing the snow. And we'll also talk about the timeline. We'll talk to you in a bit. Thanks, Christy.
And how about a man-made flood from above? It's a fear for many condo owners who worry about water damage from neighboring units. What you might not know about who's really liable. Coming up in Consumer Matters next on the News Hour. Keeping track of creepy crawlies, the new tick app that you might find very useful this summer. Coming up on the News Hour. Also tonight, why John Lennon's son Julian was inspired to do something he vowed he would never do. But right now, water damage is a nightmare that no condo owner wants to experience. And you might be surprised to learn homeowners can be on the hook for the cost of repairs to their strata unit, even if a leak originated somewhere else. Consumer Matters reporter Andrea joins us with more on what you need to know about condo flooding liability. And thanks, Sophie. The Insurance Bureau of Canada estimates more than half of strata claims involve water damage. Generally speaking, two insurance policies would commonly cover strata damage. The unit owner's policy for everything from the walls inward to the contents or the condo corporation's policy for common areas, including hallways and elevators. Where the damage originated really is not what determines what insurance policy, it's how much damage. In the event of a water leak, the Condo Homeowners Association says people often assume the Strata Corporation's insurance covers everything. But as a general rule in B.C., that only happens if the amount of the damage claim exceeds the deductible amount on the Strata Corporation's insurance policy. If it's below that amount, so if we have a $100,000 deductible, and let's say only three strata lots have been affected because it's been an overflowing um, bathtub or a pipe break or whatever it is in a unit above, if it's below the $100,000, there is no claim on the strata insurance. And each individual owner is then responsible for their own restoration or repair to their strata lot. Whether it's a leak from the building's sprinkler system, a burst pipe, or an overflowing bathtub in the unit above you that causes water to flow into your condo, neither the Strata Corporation nor the owner of the unit where the leak originated from are necessarily responsible for the damage it causes to other units. In the absence of negligence or a specific bylaw making owners liable for damage that originates in their strata lots, owners and their insurers can be responsible for the cost of damage even if they did nothing to cause it. Just because a loss originated from a different unit doesn't necessarily mean that they're responsible or negligent for all of those costs, which would include your own deductible. We could also turn and reverse the table. If you have a pipe that leaks in your wall, and if we take insurance out of the equation, do you feel that you should be paying for everyone else's damage when you had no idea the age of that pipe or whether or not you're even responsible for that pipe leaking? Not buying sufficient insurance is a, is a significant risk for anybody who owns a condo. Proper insurance coverage, including a deductible you can afford, are crucial. Strata bylaws do vary, so it's very important to understand what you are responsible for within your own condo unit. If you are found negligent or liable, your insurance policy also has liability coverage that protects you from some of these circumstances, as long as you are acting reasonably in trying to prevent some of the damages from happening. 
And the Insurance Bureau of Canada says each claim is investigated on a case-by-case basis. And if there is someone else responsible, your insurance company will pursue them to recover costs. If successful, your deductible could be waived or reimbursed. In the event you do have damage, reach out to the condo corporation right away and your own insurance provider to make sure the repairs are addressed. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. Good advice as always. Thank you, Anne. Up next, Pierre Poiliev's promise to fix Vancouver housing. Want to see a $5 million house here in Vancouver? The Conservative leadership candidate appealing to those who say the system is broken. And the Prime Minister also in our province to push an electrifying vision of the future. Traffic is nice and steady in both directions over here now at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Just recently cleared a stalled motorcycle southbound at mid-span. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at bcaa.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. This may- the real estate market in BC continues to see prices skyrocket and housing affordability is top of mind for many, not just people in our province. There's a battle brewing now at the federal level focused on housing prices here. As Richard Zussman reports, having both sides weighing in on the issue could actually be a good thing for would-be homebuyers. I want to see a $5 million house here in Vancouver. Political theater from the person who wants to be the next PM. $4.8 million is the listing price for this baby. Now, Pierre Polyever running to be the next conservative leader. Touring through BC with not just theatrics, but ideas on how to fix the housing crisis. We do have criteria for big cities to receive infrastructure money. And one of the criteria for some of that money will be how many houses are completed. Uh, And that will incentivize municipalities to speed up building permits. The leadership hopeful launching into BC's key election issue, housing affordability, blaming what he calls gatekeepers at Vancouver City Hall for adding red tape, and says his government would print less money to tackle inflation. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau also touring through British Columbia, not mentioning Polyevra by name, but clearly has seen, or at least been briefed, on the video. Anyone promising a simple, easy fix to the housing crisis is trying to push something politically that isn't true. So yes, this is your dining area. Trudeau has his own ideas for the housing crisis, including providing tax-free support to first-time buyers, restricting foreign ownership, and doubling the number of homes built a year. We know one of the challenges we have is population growth in this country uh, hasn't been matched by an equivalent growth in housing supply. Aside from building homes, experts say it's refreshing to see both conservatives and liberals talk about all facets of housing affordability, including pushing municipalities. It's unheard of 10, 20 years ago that a federal government would start to push around local governments in terms of restrictions on what gets built where. I think it's actually encouraging. Tom Davidoff suggesting beyond this, federal political parties could still build policies around faster approval to change zoning. But debate on this issue will have to wait for the next time the PM and Conservative frontrunner square off. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. While Canada has set a lofty goal to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, there are questions about how we will get there. And during a stop in B.C. today, the Prime Minister says one of the options is increasing nuclear power. 
As John Waugh reports, it's just one of several energy sources that will be needed to electrify our economy. It's the fuel that often gets a political plan moving forward. What government doesn't love setting targets like net zero emissions in Canada by 2050 to supercharge other initiatives like boosting electric vehicle sales? We're bringing in new mandatory sales targets of 20% by 2026, 60% by 2030, on the way to 100% by 2035. But experts say if Canada really wants to go down the road of electrifying everything, targets won't be enough. It's estimated BC will need the equivalent of 20 to 30 more Site C dams to meet the surge in demand. The one Site C took 50 years from starting of planning stage to digging holes in the ground and it's still not quite built yet so another 20 to 30 seems quite challenging to build neat says alternatives like solar and wind power should be part of the solution but each have drawbacks to consider as well solar has a significant land impact so does wind also has quite a land impact and then some of the chemicals and things that we need to produce some of those devices are also a concern the prime minister didn't offer up a roadmap to meet these energy goals Instead said the federal government was ready to provide funding to help others figure it out. These solutions we develop in Canada will be an essential part of how we move forward. And that's why we're there to invest in a range of pathways. Neat says unless there's a breakthrough in fusion power, going nuclear needs to be an option. Adding the technology has come a long way in terms of safety, size, and cost. Basically, of our our zero-carbon technologies, nuclear is the only one that provides sort of baseline stable power, and that's a really valuable um, commodity. The Prime Minister not saying no to nuclear. Nuclear is on the table, absolutely. It's clear every option is being explored to meet these goals. After all, nothing is worse for a government than having to move its own targets back. John Hua, Global News. Just ahead, no end to the war in Ukraine. What aerial images and the arrival of a new Russian general means for the conflict. But first, Julian Lennon channels his dad, John, imagining a world with no war. Counterflow is out and traffic is steady in both directions over here at the Massey Tunnel and just recently cleared a major crash south of the tunnel near Highway 91. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at bcaa.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Imagine all the people living a life in peace. You may say. Julian Lennon helping the people of Ukraine through music. The son of late Beatles legend John Lennon performing Imagine to raise money for refugees from the war-torn country. The 59-year-old singer once vowed he would never perform his late father's music, but the war in Ukraine led him to make this exception. Sadly, a warning once again about our coverage of the war in Ukraine. There is more evidence of possible war crimes after new mass graves were discovered. International investigators have arrived to document it as a newly installed Russian general is apparently ready to launch more attacks across eastern regions. Global's Reggie Cicchini has the latest. It's often said a picture can speak a thousand words. 
In this case, it could foreshadow silence. Everybody a bit scared. That's normal. That's war. This 12-kilometer-long convoy heading towards Kharkiv could signal Russia's intent to enter a brutal new phase in the Donbass region. Ukraine's president telling South Korean lawmakers there is no and can be no hope that Russia will simply stop on its own. Ratcheting up that fear, a new Russian general, Alexander Dvornikov, a Putin loyalist known for using vicious brutality in Chechnya and Syria. The future for eastern cities under siege has just become even more uncertain. Mariupol has been destroyed. There are tens of thousands of dead, Volodymyr Zelensky says. New drone footage reminding the world of how a shelter became a final resting place for 300 civilians. Back near the capital, new atrocities. This local official in the town of Buzova, near Kyiv, says residents were tortured, with yet another mass grave uncovered. In Borodyanka, the search continues for the remains of its residents. We're still waiting, says this 74-year-old, whose son is missing. The slaughter of civilians only increases pressure to investigate possible war crimes. Evidence gathering is underway, but so too is diplomatic confrontation. President Putin, with Austria's leader, the first to look Vladimir Putin in the eyes, saying he was left with no optimism. But diplomacy is fading. Russia's foreign minister says there will be no pause in fighting until an agreement is signed. A threat that will thrust more economic pressure on the Kremlin, but also more grief and loss on Ukraine. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. With the arrival of warmer weather here, a new app has been launched for British Columbians to help experts identify the spread of ticks. The B.C. Centre for Disease Control adopting the use of eTick, an app that allows people to upload images of the ticks they find and their location. The app was developed by a team at Bishop's University in Quebec, and it's already in use in a number of other provinces. The photos allow experts to identify the type of tick and the spread of those specific species. Then it gets loaded to the site, and then our tick um, uh, ID team will um, look at the photos. They'll, they'll make an identification, and then they send you a message based on what tick species or uh, genus it is, um, and then some information about you know whether it carries Lyme disease or not. The eTick app can be downloaded for free from the Apple App or Google Play stores for the e- or the eTick's website if you have the stomach to visit it because <laughs> it makes a lot of people mm-hmm. pretty squeamish. <laughs> and take pictures of those little guys. Yeah. Coming up, connecting countries. So there's been a lot of talk of what this type of infrastructure could really do for our area. The undersea cable that could be a pipeline of prosperity for BC's coastal communities. And welcome home. Canada's rugby team arrives to take on the world at the Sevens Tournament this weekend. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Reality check about. Uh, well, I'm just spring. thinking the, the saying goes April showers bring May flowers. I don't think it said anything about snow. I don't remember anything about <laughs> snow in there, but we're going to get it anyway, aren't we? Mm-mm. 
We are. So we did have some snow on Sunday and tomorrow we have a much better chance. I want to show you this image just to give you a better perspective of what these types of cells look like. So you may have experienced them over the last couple of days. You may not have, but what you get is these really intense downpours of either rain, hail, and in this case tomorrow, the possibility of snow. And the timeline will be from the morning right into the afternoons. We have that potential. So heads up for all you travelers out there. Here's the reason why we've got a big upper level low and that is why we are exceptionally cold. So highs of only seven degrees. Normally we would be up to about 13. So we're definitely well below seasonal. And we've got this low pressure center that's going to track just on the outer coast of Vancouver Island. And that's going to be enough to be the trigger for all of these isolated cells and there will be thunderstorms along with it so keep your eye out for lightning as well uh, parts of Vancouver Island as we talked about inland sections and out towards Campbell River best chance of seeing snow but for areas across the lower mainland these isolated cells are certainly possible these are the areas that I think have the best chance of seeing it it would be along the mountains Burnaby out towards Coquitlam uh, Tri-City sort of over towards Maple Ridge and potentially out through the Fraser Valley certainly how sound and parts of the Sunshine Coast as well. But those areas that you have zeros in, don't forget, I mean, still, there is an isolated pocket possible for even lower elevations. They would be brief and they would be intense and significant snow could accumulate in a short amount of time. Meanwhile, inland regions, terrific conditions. We're looking at sunshine, but it is well below seasonal. We're talking about seven to eight degrees below seasonal for this time of year. So that's the reason why we have that potential for snow and then that low pressure center giving it that trigger to be able to uh, bring in the possibility of these convective um, uh, cells. Uh, so it does ease off a little bit on Wednesday, but even into Wednesday, uh, sorry, tomorrow night into our Wednesday morning, there's a possibility of some snow across parts of Vancouver Island. I'll leave you with another shot of these. So keep your eye out for these tomorrow. There's certainly going to be them here and there in the region. And yes, snow is possible underneath one of these tomorrow. Back <laughs> to you guys. Wow. All right, we'll see what happens. Thank you, Christy. Okay, this is probably a world first in transportation, and the whole thing was caught on camera. A bystander started recording video in San Francisco when police tried to pull over a car that didn't have its headlights on. It turns out there was no driver in there. It was a driverless autonomous car, and it then pulled away from the police officer, drove through an intersection, and stopped again. Onlookers found the whole thing pretty amusing. Even the officers had a good chuckle about it. Cruise, which is a GM subsidiary, is currently offering free nighttime rides to the public in San Francisco in those driverless cars. What do you do if the headlights don't turn on? <laughs> I don't know if nighttime is the best time to experiment with that kind of thing. <laughs> That's a very good point. I wonder, too, like, you know, when there are more driverless cars, if the driverless car does something against the traffic, mm -hmm. violates the traffic rules, mm -hmm. can you not just blame it on the car when the cop comes up to your car? Well, it's not me. No, it's the car. It's the I car. I wasn't speeding. This thing was. Yeah, find the Don't car. give me a ticket. Exactly. The art of deflection. Uh, Canucks will talk about them. Bo Horvat's had a really good run lately. He's actually now the leading scorer for the Vancouver Canucks, but there are some injury problems heading into tomorrow night's game against the uh, Vegas Golden Knights. Oh, and we'll show you Bruce Boudreaux. I wouldn't say he got mad, but he had to uh, get to raise his voice with the players a little bit today. <laughs> yeah, he was definitely making a point. Also coming up, the cross-Pacific cable that connects a lot more than continents. Coming up later.
All right, Squire is here now. What's happening, Squire? Well, we'll talk Canucks. And when you're in the Canucks position, every game is the biggest game of the year. However, tomorrow's against Vegas is extra important. They're going to have to play this game without two top six forwards. Tanner Pearson will miss all of this week with an upper body injury. And Brock Besser, who is skating, but still not sure when he can play. He skated hard today, too. Uh, but he's out. Um, he's got an upper body injury. And uh, I think he's gonna, he'll be skating again tomorrow. Uh, but he's not, definitely not playing tomorrow. Do you think you'll see him at all during this home stretch? I hope so. I mean... I can't. I can't tell you. I'm not a doctor, but I mean, uh, uh, you know, if he could play, he definitely wants to play. The Vancouver Canucks always pegged Bo Horvat as a leader. When he first arrived in Vancouver, they said this kid would be one of the faces of the team in the near future, and they were right. He was. He is. What they didn't know, though is that one day he would lead the team in goal scoring, which he is doing right now. It's an added bonus to everything else Bo Horvat does. Garland on the left side, centers the puck, puck goals, and Horvat scores! Number 30! Hitting the 30-goal plateau marks a career high for Bo Horvat, and he's producing when his team needs it the most. Horvat finished the month of March with 9 goals and 14 points in 14 games. Here in April, Bo has 4 goals and 6 points in 4 games, as the Canucks continue to chase a playoff spot. Bo Horvat has another goal. You can never be too good. Uh, you know, you, you hear stories and other guys around the league, and everybody's trying to get better. You know, for me, just working on different parts of my game to trying to improve my overall game, and um, going to continue that for probably my entire career. You can bank on those words because Canuck fans have had a front row seat watching Horvat grow as a player season after season. He's a better skater. He's stronger on the puck. And he has a determined, heady confidence level when it comes to going and being in front of the net. He's got some great talent. I mean, I think it's just now he's being, I mean, the last 20 games, he's being way more consistent with it. You know, I mean, there's some games, you know, early on you go, wow, this guy's fabulous. And then some games he's not there. Uh, but I think that goes with a lot of guys, you know, and, and when he's consistent, he's been consistently good lately. And... Uh, uh, and it shows in his numbers, and it doesn't matter what wingers you've put. I've put him with every different winger, I think, on the team. So, I mean, it's, uh, uh, it's when he's going good, he brings people along with him. And with the ninth selection, select from the London Knights of the Canadian Hockey League, Bo Horvath. The Canucks knew they were getting a quality player when they traded away Corey Schneider to move up in the draft to pick Horvath. It's a deal that's paid solid dividends as the Canucks have a captain and a player that coaches love to lean on when a game's on the line. But who knew he'd be the Canucks' leading goal scorer right now? My offense is a little maybe, uh, I wouldn't say underrated, but um, not a lot of people think maybe that I can put up the offense, but uh, I think I can. Is this people of it that we're seeing right now? I mean, you'd like to think uh, not. I mean, you'd like to think you can get better all the time. I mean... You know, if you're satisfied, you know, I think uh, there's something wrong. You always want to strive to be better and want to want to get better, and um, it definitely helps when your team's winning. I remember when Bo Horvat arrived and interviewing him the first time. He was a big kid then, and uh, he's developed into a very good player for the Canucks. Okay, so Vancouver has won three games in a row. It almost was four games in a row, but they lost in overtime to... Uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. So they're now six points out of a playoff spot. They need to keep winning. They need to get 
help from others. One of the things Bruce Boudreaux has always wanted from his team since he arrived in December is relentless forechecking. And today at practice, he wasn't getting the type of effort from the Canucks that he needs, especially tomorrow against Vegas. So he had a moment where he wasn't all that happy, and here's what he said to get his guys back on track. And there were a few moments where you heard nothing because that's where he had to add in a monosyllabic word just to get the point across. Okay, Yankee Stadium, George Springer and the Blue Jays, 2-0. Thanks to that homer right there from George. Gave him the home run jacket. It's almost as good as the one they give at the Masters. Actually, they're probably equal. Bo Bichette, great throw. Great defensive play there when the Yankees were threatening. And more Springer. I guess that's how you look at it. If you're a baseball fan, that's the jacket you want. If you're a golf fan, you want the green one. Uh, Santiago Espinal scores. 3-0 Jays in the eighth in the Bronx. Nice greeting for Canada and some of the other nations arriving for the uh, Rugby Sevens tournament at BC Place this weekend. 16-team event, always popular, and the Canadians are happy to be back. Yes, yeah, favorite for the fans is a favorite for the players. I think uh, I had a few guys come up to me during the week, just you know, asking me what they should do around town or how excited they were to be back. So, um, yeah, it's great for the players, but you know, the fans uh, really bring that energy. So, hopefully. We pack out BC Place over the weekend and uh, get the party back started. Kicking it old school with the stash there. <laughs> so it, it's like rugby from the 1800s, but I'm looking forward to it this weekend. It's going to be great. Thanks, Square. All right. Up next, Google goes deep. How the tech giant is connecting BC with Japan. All right, Jordan Armstrong is standing by now with details on what's coming up tonight on News at 11. Jordan? Chris, we're watching two big stories tonight. First, the vote at Surrey City Hall sometime after 7 o'clock to possibly freeze new ethics complaints before October's election. Plus, our cameras remain at the scene of today's huge fire in Gastown. The big question tonight, is anyone still missing? We understand an updated headcount will take place this evening. We're in touch with the fire department and any updates we get, we will have for you tonight at 11. Chris? All right. No, you will. Thanks very much, Jordan. Well, it's a cable the same size as a regular garden hose, but it will carry an ocean of data under the Pacific Ocean. That's right. When it's installed, Google's Topaz project will link Canada and Japan, opening up a new pathway to connect cultures over the Internet. Kylie Stanton shows us how. We search, send emails, watch videos, while storing the ones we take. And this is often where it starts. Our highest priority is to create a network that society can depend on. For two continents roughly 8,000 kilometers apart, Google is about to get even better, thanks to Topaz, the first ever subsea fiber cable to connect Canada and Asia. A cable like Topaz doesn't just improve reliability between Canada and Japan, it improves reliability of the entire network. Once complete, Topaz will run from Vancouver to Port Alberni before making its way across the Pacific, landing in Mie and Ibaraki, Japan. It's expected to be in service by 2023. 
We are so thrilled about this project. We're always just happy to have this type of infrastructure added in the community. Just gives us another leg up at what is already a very exciting time in the community with a lot of transition underway. And here's how it'll work. The cable that's just the width of a garden hose will house 16 fiber pairs for a total capacity of 240 terabits per second. That's about one and a half million times faster than the internet speed most people have at home. Pretty powerful, right? But that's not the only good connection Google is interested in making. We want to carefully ensure minimal interruptions to local communities. The corporation consulted and partnered with the Hupishaset, Manalth and Seishat First Nations every step of the way. What's now being described as a precedent-setting approach. This stepped up everything else to a, a whole new standard. So for such a large corporation to come back and say, we know you have governance here. You know, to, to step down and say, you know, what are your concerns, you know, to each of the First Nations? That was that was really nice. The investment is expected to bring significant economic activity to the region. And it's just one of 20 projects in the works. If you'd like to find out more, well, just Google it. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Our director made a good point. Who resets the modem <laughs> if there's an outage? The deep sea divers. <laughs> I don't know Where, how it works. I don't either. I, I keep wondering what happens like a shark bites the little hose. Then what happens? I'm sure all of yeah. those eventualities have been taken into account <laughs> yeah. by people then, much smarter than this crew. Then you just use your LTE instead. <laughs> right? I don't know. All right. Looks right. like the sun's shining going down behind uh, Christy there. Let's hope we don't get snow. That's... Yes, well, I think there's a good possibility some areas across the south coast will see snow. Whether you will at lower elevations in the lower mainland, we'll wait to see. But be prepared for that. If these storm cells roll through, they'd be really intense. Certainly the possibility of snow over higher elevations and inland areas across Vancouver Island. So, And keep your ear out tomorrow because there's a risk of thunderstorms as well. It'll be an action-packed day, that's for sure. Just the kind you like. We know it. (laughs) All right. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great night. See you tomorrow. Good night, all. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. <laughs> and Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.